Hi and welcome to episode two of the Bold But Bold podcast with me, Charles Linden. And this time I'm going to be discussing medication. Okay, first of all, I want to get something really, really clear for everybody that suffers from anxiety. Anxiety, as I said in episode one, is the disorder of the emotion of fear. What do I mean by that? The human body is made up of a number of systems that work in unison to create balance and to, to operate at well-being. Okay? Now, when you're born, you should be in relative well-being. In other words, you should be fit and all of your bodily systems should be working together in unison to create uh, health and well-being in, in every aspect of your physical being. It's what happens after we're born that creates disorder. Now, if you're born with the predisposition to suffering from anxiety or any anxiety condition, and by that I mean things like panic disorder, generalised anxiety, um, health anxiety, emetophobia, eating disorders, uh, panic disorder, derealization, depersonalization, and so on. Those conditions are created by the disorder that is anxiety. How it manifests in you may be different to somebody else, but it doesn't mean the disorder is any different. Anxiety is a disorder. Now think about this logically. If anxiety is the disorder of fear, then and fear is a natural response to danger, and it's, a, it's evolved into you, how can fear be a disorder? Well, it's not. And neither is anxiety. Anxiety is a condition. It's like the relationship between fitness and unfitness. Unfitness isn't illness. It's just your body not working, your systemic responses not working together in order to create that unity, to create that synergy, to create fitness. And so if you can't treat unfitness with medication, why the hell would you try and treat anxiety with medication? Because the truth is that nothing has ever been synthesized to correct anxiety and take you back to order, which is normal fear responses. But why is that? Well, it's very simple. Fear, like all subconscious autonomic responses, whether that be breathing or circulation or uh, endocrine response, all of those things are deeply rooted in your subconscious mind and happen whether you're awake or asleep. They're autonomic. You can't control them. Fitness is a, a physical preset in all humans. But what happens is when disorder happens, people become unfit. And then to get back from unfitness back to order, which is fitness, they have to take physical action to reprogram the subconscious so that all of the bodily systems learn to work together in that synergy. They work together correctly so that they circulate the, the, the correct amount of nutrients to the correct places. They build muscle mass. They reduce fat deposits and so on. That's what fitness is. Does that make sense? So if you went to a personal trainer and said, look, you know, I need to get, I'm overweight and I need to, uh, to get fit. And they said, well, we could give you some therapy to, to help you to come to terms with how unfit and overweight you are. Or I could give you some medication that'll help you to forget how unfit and overweight you are. Or I'll give you a program of exercise and a diet. Which would you take? Well, of course, naturally you take option three. And this is the point. We trust people who are there to give us advice and who seem to be working from the correct science. People like psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors who you go to when you suffer from an anxiety condition. But why do you go to them? Because you feel vulnerable, because you feel ill, because the symptoms are overwhelming, because you don't know what they are and there's no explanation of them. But you go there and generally you're handed uh, either a prescription for some medication or you're handed a referral to somebody that works in psychology or counselling or psychotherapy or psychiatry who can, um, who can guide you. But guide you to where? Because their practice models, and they are practice models, 
aren't based on recovery. They're not based on the actual science of the uh, production of the emotion of fear. So how can they help you? Because relaxation isn't going to help you. Keeping an anxiety diary isn't going to help you. Talking about the trauma isn't going to help you. It's just going to be a way of practicing being anxious. So it can't help you. Alternatively, they might give you some medication. What might they give you? A sedative, a muscle relaxant that helps you to sleep. Well, how can you sleep away fear? When you wake up, it's just going to be there again. And when it's the disorder of fear, it's going to be there again, but probably worse than it was when you went to sleep. What about an SSRI, a, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor? Well, there's nothing wrong with your serotonin levels. You've got anxiety. You're not clinically depressed. Which brings me to another point, because you can't suffer from clinical depression and anxiety simultaneously. Because it's, it's physically impossible, because if you've only got one brain, you've only got one set of synapses, you can only produce one chemical emotional response at a time. So you can't be in hypervigilance that anxiety gives you, which is at the top end of the experience of emotional uh, uh, experiences in the human body, and also then have a lack of those experiences at the same time. How can you be emotionally dead and emotionally on fire simultaneously? Physical impossibility. So taking an antidepressant, again, is all it's going to do is create some slightly soporific effects. So it's going to knock the edges off the anxiety. But is it therapeutic? Is it going to cure you? Well, of course not. And when people say, yeah, but it's working for me, Charles, what do you mean by working? Do you mean that it's just making you feel drowsy, so less anxious? Or do you mean you're actually cured? And if you look at the science of this, you'll find that those people aren't actually cured. They just feel sedated. So whether it's sedatives or, or low doses of antipsychotics, or some people do use antihistamines because they can be soporific as well, um, or whether it's an SSRI or a different antidepressant, it's just different ways of feeding you something that's going to subdue your physiological responses. Even things like beta blockers, they slow your heart rate. Yeah, they give you a, a less of an, an outward experience of your anxiety because they slow your heart rate. They may subdue your panic attacks, for example. But also they're doing other things in your body that are causing systemic imbalance. And, and they're not actually curing the problem because the problem lies not in mental health, not in chemical imbalance, not in some kind of crisis of confidence that can be dealt with by a talking therapy. It lies in your subconscious autonomic responses. And there's only one way to reprogram that. And that's through psychoeducation, which is what, how I recovered, for example. Um, but also you've got to think of this. If you, you know, if you um, for example, if you're, if you, let's imagine for a second you're in total physical and mental balance and you take a paracetamol, let's say a painkiller of some sort. Okay. But other than that, you are totally pure. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do anything. You're, in, you're, you're, you're as clean as a newly born baby. If you take a paracetamol, your body has to deal with that. It has to metabolize that chemical in your body because it's not a natural chemical. It's being ingested and taken into your bloodstream and circulated around your body. So how your endocrine system and all of the systems of your body deal with that differ. Uh, it's made to the same blueprint, but it differs in every case because some people can take uh, an aspirin and, and, and it can really badly harm them. Other people can take aspirin and are absolutely fine. So it depends how your phys physical self responds to a particular substance. But think about this logically. If you take one thing, You've just got the one thing to deal with. If you take two things, you've got two things to deal with, but also you've got the third thing, which is the interaction between those two things. So if you've got three things, you've got this one, this one, and this one. You've got the interaction between that one and that one, that one and that one, and that one and that one, and you've got the thing in between. So you've probably got nine or ten interactions. I can't do the sums off the top of my head. If you've got four things, it's probably like 20 interactions. If you've got five things, it could be 80 interactions and so on. 
So ultimately, where we're getting to is that just taking four things, and that can be data and substance. It could be a therapy, it could be a medication, it could be a, an alternative therapy, it could be massage, it could be whatever your body perceives or takes in, uh, it has to be metabolized in some way. Even a massage is metabolized because as it's moving things around in your body, your body has to deal with those things that it's moving around. Changes, physical changes in your body. And so if you can get back to general purity, a kind of purity, that sort of birth precept purity, and take away all those things, at least you know then what you're dealing with. And when I was chronically anxious, and when I got to the end of my anxiety condition in about 96, I was taking about five different medications. I didn't know what they were doing to me, but I felt absolutely lousy. My head was buzzing. I felt dizzy all the time. I felt nauseous all the time. Um, I was still having all the panic attacks, and I, still, I was staggerophobic. So the, the disorder itself hadn't gone. It's just that a load of other stuff had decided to conspire against me as well. And that was presumably caused by the medication. And there was a point of clarity I had, and I remember it clearly. And I thought to myself... Well, I'd rather be chronically anxious and have eight to ten panic attacks a day like I am now and be uh, have OCD and the metaphobia and the eating disorders that I am now displaying as part of my anxiety but not have any medication in me at all than be where I'm at now. Because I, don't, I, I just didn't know where the two things met. You couldn't see the wood for the trees. What was causing the dizziness? Was it the anxiety or the medication? Who knew? Probably anxiety but it could have been the medication. The head buzzing certainly wasn't the anxiety because I never had it before I started taking the stelazine. As soon as I started taking the stelazine, my head started buzzing. As soon as I stopped the stelazine, the head buzzing stopped. But there were a hundred things, like a thousand things like that. What was causing my digestive problems? The, 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 it's called dumping syndrome, where I'd eat and immediately go to the toilet. Immediately. As soon as I'd eaten, it was just like I had to eat in the toilet almost. It was horrific. And it was, it was just... It was, it was so overwhelming and my blood sugar levels would drop and I'd start to sweat and I'd start to feel faint and dizzy and I'd have to rush to the loo wherever I was. It was horrific. So to, to avoid that, I avoided eating a lot of the time. But despite that, I was still 18 stone. So what was going on there? My endocrine system, my body, my, my, my systemic balance was way out. Why? Because of the medication or the anxiety? Who knows? And now, I mean, we've, we've helped way over 300,000 people directly through our programs. And, and having now had the opportunity to sit down with tens of thousands of those in retreats and, and, and other events and talk to them, they have similar experiences. At every retreat I have somebody say, oh, I had that. Charles, gosh, I have that. I suffer from it every day and I didn't know what it was and nobody's ever mentioned it to me before and I've had investigative surgery and I've had medication and I've had... And I said, well, yeah, and, and, and I would have done the same. Because nobody understands the, the systemic disorder that is anxiety the way that the, the interaction between the systems of the body to cause the, 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 the wide symptomology, so whether it's um, endocrine or, or digestive or, or, or respiratory or circulatory, you know, a lot of people come to us and they'll say, but Charles, you know, I suffer from this thing that nobody's ever been able to explain. Nobody's ever told me why I get the lump in my throat, why I get indigestion, why I get diarrhea, why my legs shake, why my hands hurt, why I get pins and needles. Why I get this numbness down the side of my face or the heaviness in my left arm. Nobody's ever been able to tell me why my eyes are dry and my mouth's dry. Why I get my words all mixed up. Why, my, why I've got ringing in my ears. Charles, why? Why can't anybody tell me? Well, I'll tell you. And I tell them exactly what the systemic responses are, what the interactions between the systemic responses are, and why they're having diarrhea, why they've got bloating, why they've got pain, why they've got distension, why they can't eat certain foods, 
why they can't do certain exercise, why they feel out of breath when they go up the stairs, and so on and so forth. Because I understand the complete neurology, physiology, and psychology of these conditions, because I understand the science. And that's the difference. So when people come to me and say, Charles, uh, Charles, I've been taking this particular medication for a week, and I feel so much worse, I'll explain to them exactly what's going on. Now, there are people that take medications and they feel better, in inverted commas. In other words, there's been an alleviation or a reduction of the overall physical response to um, that the anxiety creates or the phobia or the obsession or whatever it is. Yes, it can subdue it. But is it treating it? No. And who wants to lead a life where they don't know what that drug is actually doing to them, what the long-term effects of that drug is, gonna, is going to be, and what ultimately the outcome will be for them if they ever recover from their anxiety? Because if they're taking medications and doing those things and they're having the counselling and the talking therapies and keeping anxiety diaries and having hypnosis and uh, NLP, EFT, EMDR, none of this stuff's going to cure anxiety because it can't. It's physically impossible for it to do so. And I will go into that in later episodes. Um, but ultimately, this is all leading to one place. You have to do what the body and brain needs in order to recover. And then recovery comes. But it won't come unless you do it. It's like fitness. You can take medication, you can have therapy. You know, if you went to a PT and said, um, I'm thinking of losing a bit of weight and getting fit, how can you help me? And he said, well, I'll tell you what we can do. Uh, I can either give you some medication and that'll help you to forget how fit and un un unfit and fat you are. Or I can give you some therapy and that'll help you to come to terms with how unfit and fat you are. Or alternatively, I can give you uh, an exercise plan and a diet and you're going to lose weight and get fitter. Which would you like, sir? Or which would you take? I mean, common sense would drive you to the one thing that the body and mind need to do in order to create fitness. You wouldn't take medication. You wouldn't have therapy. You'd do what it takes or not. That's your choice. So why for these conditions that are physiologically and neurologically the same as unfitness, do we go and sit and talk about the problems all day and then leave feeling worse than we arrived? Okay, we might get some reassurance. We might get a bit of guidance. But ultimately, has it cured your anxiety? Do you feel better long-term as a result of it? Well, no, because you haven't yet done what it takes to recover from the anxiety. So medications can't take you there. Yes, they can be soporific. They can subdue the outward expressions. They can make you feel less anxious. But are you less anxious? Of course not. Of course not. It frustrates me immensely that people come to me and they say, but Charles, I take cannabis and it really helps me. Well, okay, if you want to breathe in something that grew on a bush somewhere rather than use your body to adjust your uh, anxiety levels back down to normal levels and you want to take cannabis every day for the rest of your life not knowing what it's doing to your brain even though science has told us what it can do and does do to the brain if you want to take cannabis or CBD oil you want to take some, I don't know, some other um, herbal substance or if you want to take medication that's your choice but ultimately... Nobody, including yourself, could ever determine, predetermine, or assess what's going to happen in your body when you take that thing. And the same is true of anything, you else, do you, anything else you do with your body throughout your life. Only you know what happens to you after you've done something. And the people are going to say, but Charles, you know, I've started taking this and I feel so much better and my life's improved. Great, until something catastrophic happens. Great, until you take that thing away. Great, until you realise that actually you still have anxiety and it will just creep out of another hole somewhere else and manifest as a different phobia, obsession or compulsion. I, trust me, 
with the hindsight of 22 years of my own suffering and the experiences with myself and all of my peers through that time in day clinics, in support groups, in, in, in research groups. And on top of that, since 1997, you know, we've got, what? where are we now? 22 years later, we've helped and I've been uh, in the presence of tens of thousands of anxiety sufferers that have ultimately recovered doing the thing that the brain and body needs to do to recover. So you can either take the advice of those people who don't evidence recovery, those people who just treat people, in inverted commas, those people that create coping and uh, management strategies for anxiety, but keep you anxious. Or you can listen to those people who've all recovered fully, who all lead normal lives, and who've all done so drug-free and, and, and psychology-free, without having to even think about it in minutes, in some cases. Because your brain has the ability to switch off fear incredibly quickly. But it can't do it using medication or therapies. It has to do it the only way it evolved to do it. And it's as simple as that. So what role does medication play in, in, in psychology and psychotherapy, in, in psychology and psychiatry and medicine? It plays a role in which chemical imbalance exists. And there are mental illnesses that are, exist as a result of or around chemical imbalance. And let's, let's be realistic about this. Nobody within mental health or, or, or uh, within you know, the research of the brain, so psychophysiologists and, and, and psycho, um, you know, all of the people that deal with the brain, psychologists and research psychologists, uh, and those people who actually dissect brains and, and try to understand how this grey blancmange actually works, they don't really understand it. They don't really understand the science of the brain. They know what structures do what, and they've been able to test it enough to, to get to the point to understand the structures somewhat. But it is just a grey blancmange. But the one thing that you can never ever predict and you cannot calibrate for is the fact that we all as individuals respond differently. So brain A is going to respond differently to brain B, C, D, E, etc. Up to six billion people or more that are now on the planet. And, and you could line a thousand people up and give them the same medication, the same therapy, the same um, uh, process to deal with their anxiety and they're all going to react differently. But if you get them to do what the brain and body were intended to do, in other words, what is true of all of them, recovery happens. But it happens because that's the way genetics and evolution has planned it to be. So if you lined up 10,000 people who were all hungry and gave them food, what would happen? How many of them would recover from hunger? Well, logic tells us 10,000, of course, because food is the cure for hunger. If you lined up a million people or a billion people that were thirsty and you gave them a fluid to drink, water, how many of them would be thirsty after drinking the fluid? Well, none of them, because fluids are the cure for thirst. The brain is asking for lubricant for the body. When it receives the lubricant, it switches off the thirst signal, similarly with hunger. There are systemic norms that we have to accept um, because of evolution and because of biology and because of factual science. And the one thing that we have to accept is that when you feed the correct uh, data and substance into the body that adjusts something in the correct way, defined by evolution and science, that response will happen. And save for when somebody has a disorder that prevents it, there are people who don't get their hunger signal switched off 
by eating. And so they keep eating because they're always hungry. And then that's a completely different thing. And it's one in very many hundreds of thousands of people have that particular disorder. So they're an anomaly. They have a systemic disorder that enables that to happen. But apart from those people, pretty much every human on the planet will eat and have their hunger satisfied. Taking a medication is masking the problem. It may be subduing the problem temporarily, but it's masking the uh, ability to understand the problem in the context of science. And then also it's masking the truth about who you are in that instant. And so what you can do is assume that your anxiety is still there and is still at a high level and just go through with anxiety recovery so that the medication becomes redundant. But if you think that your life is going to be fine taking medication for anxiety conditions, it's not. It's causing problems. You may not even be aware of them, but it's causing issues. And it's certainly protecting you from the truth, which is recovery. So again, I ask you, would if I gave you a medication or an option of therapy or an option of exercise and diet to get you to be thinner and fitter, which would you take? Well, of course, you'd take the exercise and diet because you know as a human, as an intelligent human, you know the only way to achieve fitness is to do just that. I hope this has made sense to you in the context of your, your own condition, and I hope you understand it for the truth that it is, um, and, and, and from whence it, it comes. Because, I mean, I'm not a doctor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, thank God. You know, I wanted to be a doctor, but my anxiety prevented me from going to medical school. Um, do I wish I had? No. No, I, I love what I do, and I love what I do because it produces real results. Um, would I want to be a surgeon now? Probably not. I'm 51. I can't imagine myself stood over a, uh, an operating theatre bed for long hours every day doing that. I think what we deliver as uh, LTE, um, the, the organisation I run, is what we deliver is something that is massively further reaching than that. And I just don't... Um, I don't feel regret that I'm not a doctor, but what I do feel overwhelmingly um, humbled by are the lives that my organisation touches and changes. And that's evident in the, in the testimonials we receive because we produce real recovery and that is a beautiful thing. And I look back to my days with medication now and think to myself, what on earth were they thinking? Why was my doctor giving me two milligrams three times a day of diazepam and then telling me to take them when I need them? which led me to take 30, 40, 50, 60 milligrams a day sometimes, sometimes, and even to get them illegitimately through other people sometimes, so I could take them, take even more of them. But he never stopped me, and he knew what was happening. And as a result, when I came off the diazepam, all hell broke loose, because I didn't withdraw as effectively as I could have done. But I was taking a hell of a lot of it, you know, uh, far more than I hear other people have taken. And it was stupid, but it was ignorance because I wasn't being guided. So we're here to guide you. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope it's been um, informative and I hope you've learned something from my experiences. You may not agree with me. You may not want to, uh, you, you may not want to agree with me. You may have different viewpoints. That's fine. I'm not sitting here as the be-all and end-all of, of, of mental health and anxiety recovery. I'm sitting here as an ex-sufferer uh, who, who went through the the hell that was the conditions, um, the hell that was the, the medication, the hell that was um, withdrawal from those medications. And, and then, you know, by hook or by crook, I'm sat here as a 51-year-old chap who's helped 
possibly more people to recover than any other person on this planet. And if that's the case, it is. If it's not, I'm wrong. But, you know, 320,000 people have done that program. Um, I've personally helped probably as much as 20,000 people to um, recover fully since my own recovery. That's personally. Um, and on top of that, the retreats and the workshops, tens of thousands of people again. It would be rare to find an organisation that has the level of experience that my team have. They're all ex-sufferers. They're people that um, have suffered and recovered and helped tens of thousands to recover. And so, you know, I think we're well placed to give people correct guidance. All of my team are psychologists or psych psychotherapists by profession, but they've all trained as anxiety recovery therapists and they really do change and save lives. And I think that that's, that's uh, it's noble and it's commendable and um, I'm very proud of them. So if you want advice from them, you know where they are. Um, but I'll finish now and say thank you for listening to me. Um, the next episode, I'm going to be talking about anxiety itself. Um, but uh, if you want advice about how to recover, you know where we are. Take care.